first time in 10 weeks I'm not introducing someone. And uh, it's always a wonderful summer when we get to enjoy the summer series. And I can tell you that I thoroughly enjoyed it myself, uh, getting to hear a number of faithful gospel preachers preach on a very timely topic. And uh, I hope you appreciated them. And if you missed any of them, they're all available on the church's website. You can go to sermons and be able to listen to any of the sermons for the past several years uh, at that location. This morning, we began a discussion of the predictive prophecy. And I want to begin by reminding you that the Bible is the book of books. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Every passage in God's Word is guaranteed to be from God, not from man. And yet, the world in which you and I live do not appreciate the Bible as the Word of God. So many look at it as an antiquated book based upon the teachings of man. If I were to ask you, what would it take to prove to your mind that the Bible is not just a human book, but a book from God? I'm sure many of you would say, well, if we had some sort of divine demonstration, we would believe that. But I would suggest to you that when you find something that it is above the ability for man to produce, then that must be divine. And when you start looking at the Bible, of all the predictions that are made within it, 100% of them are correct. And they are 100% correct. This morning we talked about definitions. We pointed out what it means to be a prophet and prophecy. We talked about the term predicted, that it means that God knows the end from the beginning. We talked about some distinctions. We talked about those who were pretenders who claimed to speak for God when in reality they did not. We saw that among people in the Bible. We also see that among people in our world today. And then we came to the point of talking about the demonstration of this point we were trying to make. And we could take a number of different biblical prophecies and follow them out. But I'd suggest to you that would take not just 30, 45 minutes. That would take hours upon hours upon hours. So what I did, I just chose three that I felt like would be very easy for people to see and understand. And I wanted to go through it methodically. In other words, for us to look at it very patiently and see this is proof that the Bible is the Word of God. We're going to look at the destruction of Tyre from Ezekiel 26. We'll look at the destruction of Babylon from Jeremiah 50 and also 51. And then we're going to look at the prophecies with regards to Christ, it, just some of them. So let's begin now, and I want you to open your Bibles. And the reason being is because you may want to make some notes in the margin of your Bible because you may encounter someone who tells you, I just don't know about the Bible. I'm not sure about it. We're going to read it, and I'm going to highlight some portions of the text as we go through, and then we'll draw some conclusions from that. And it came to pass in the 11th year 
on the first day of the month that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, because Tyre has said against Jerusalem, Aha! She is broken who is a gateway of peoples. Now she is turned over to me. I shall she be filled. She is laid waste. Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will cause many nations to come up against you as a sea causes its waves to come up. And they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of the rock. Now, I know that we're going to read on through verse 14 and then we'll pick up again in verse 19. But before I leave this, I want to highlight some various points. First of all, it was the 11th year. The 11th year from what? The 11th year in which Ezekiel had been taken captive. He was taken captive in 597 B.C. So if this is the 11th year, it's 586 B.C. And you say, well, what's so significant about that? This is the year that Jerusalem was destroyed. This is the year that what we find in verse 2 becomes reality. And so this is 586 B.C. The second thing I want you to notice is many nations will come up against you. It's almost, as he goes on to describe in the latter part of verse 3, like the waves of the ocean roll in and then they will go out and then another wave will roll in and then another will go out and it continues this motion. That's exactly what is going to happen to Tyre. When we continue on, we're going to notice about Nebuchadnezzar and what he is going to do. But I'd suggest to you that it's important to notice that many nations will come. And they shall destroy the walls of Tyre. You know, many of the critics of the Bible will say, you know what, Nebuchadnezzar did not destroy the city of Tyre. He destroyed part of it. But the Bible doesn't suggest he, it uses the plural they, and we'll notice that as we continue our reading. Pick up with me now in verse 5. We'll read through verse 8. It shall be a place for the spreading of nets in the midst of the sea. For I have spoken, says the Lord God. It shall become plunder for the nations. Also her daughter villages, which are in the field, shall be slain by the sword. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses, with chariots, with horsemen, and with an army of many people. He will slay with the sword your daughter villages in the fields. He will heap up a siege mound against you. He will build a wall against you. He will raise up a defense against you. Again, let us notice a few details. Her daughter villages. You know, when you have a large, important city, generally there are suburbs. For instance, if you go to Nashville, you can go to Antioch. You can go to Bellevue. You can go to Hendersonville. 
You can go to all of these smaller communities and you have to realize that Tyre was not just one particular place. In fact, in just a few moments we're going to notice the two parts of Tyre. But I want you to notice Nebuchadnezzar's purpose is going to be to destroy the daughter villages. If you will notice in verse 7, I'm going to bring from the north Nebuchadnezzar. God intended that Nebuchadnezzar destroy the city the first time. And it is significant that history records he does begin that in 585 B.C. And then you will notice he. Let's look at verses 9 through 12 now. He will direct his battering rams against your walls, and with his axes he will break down your towers. Because of the abundance of his horses, their dust will cover you. Your walls will shake at the noise of the horsemen, the wagons, and the chariots when he enters your gates, as men enter the city that is breached. With the hooves of his horses, he will trample your streets and slay all your people by the sword, and your strong pillars shall fall to the ground. They will plunder your riches, pillage your merchandise. They will break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses. They will lay your stones your timber, and your soil in the midst of the water. I want you to notice the pronouns. You have the pronoun he, talking about what Nebuchadnezzar would do. Then you have the plural pronoun, they, talking about the nations. If I can direct your attention to verse 12, something very important about what they will do. They will lay your stones, your timbers, and your soil in the midst of the water. Keep that in your mind. Let's look now at verses 13 and 14. I will put an end to the sound of your songs, and the sound of your harps shall be heard no more. I will make you like the top of a rock. You will be a place for the spreading of nets and You shall never be rebuilt, for I, the Lord, have spoken, says the Lord God. Notice, it's going to be a place for the spreading of nets, and it shall never be rebuilt. You're going to have to keep that in your mind as well. Now we're going to drop down to verses 19 through 21. For thus says the Lord God, when I make you a desolate city, like the cities that are not inhabited, when I bring the deep upon you. Great waters cover you. Then I will bring you down with those who descend to the pit, to the people of old, and I will make you dwell in the lowest parts of the earth, in places desolate from antiquity, with those who go down into the pit, so that you will never be inhabited, and I will establish glory in the land of the living. I will make you a terror, and you shall be no more. Though you are sought for, you shall never be found again says the Lord God. Notice with me verse 19. I will bring the deep upon you. Great waters cover you. Now I want you to notice a few details about this prophecy. Given in 586 B.C., fulfilled in 585 through 572 B.C. That's 13 years. Josephus, the great historian, records the 13 years. 
And he talks about in detail how Nebuchadnezzar came up and he fought against and he took the mainland city. But he could not take the island. And he talks about how that when he got there, he was able to take the city, but all the riches, all the good stuff had been carried out to the island. And do you know what? When you get to Ezekiel 29 and verse 15 or verse 18, Ezekiel records the very same thing. Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, caused his army to labor strenuously against Tyre. Every head was made bald, every shoulder rubbed raw. Yet neither he nor his army received wages for Tyre for the labor which he expended on it. I want you to get that figure in your mind. The head's made bald, the shoulder's made raw. That means that they spent a lot of time pulling and working to try to... take this city, but they didn't get anything from it. They didn't get the reward from it. Nebuchadnezzar destroyed old Tyre, but he didn't take the island. But now fast forward about 220 or 30 years to 332 B.C. And just exactly what God had said through Ezekiel would take place. Just like another wave. Nebuchadnezzar was one wave. Now comes Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great arrives. And he wants to take the city. But he begins first by asking to be able to offer sacrifice in the temple of Hercules. The people told him. There's an old temple that's dilapidated on the mainland. If you want to, you can offer your sacrifice there. And Alexander said, no, I want to offer it in the temple that is on the island. And they said, no way. We're not letting you nor your army on this island. That made Alexander mad. He's on the mainland. The people are on the island. And there is a record in the history how that he began to try everything. He sent boats and ships, but the walls around the city made it impossible. He sent ships out to try to encounter the Phoenicians' uh, various ships. That didn't work either. So what do you think he did? Exactly what verse 12 said he would do, and that is he began to take the various pieces of the old city, throw it in the water and make a land bridge. There's a drawing in front of you and on the right hand side you'll see the mainland and to the south there is the remnants of old Tyre. You'll see to the left the island. If you'll see there's a little thing they call it a mole but it's actually a land bridge. And what he did, he had his soldiers to take those various columns to take the, the old city And he took it all, throwed it in the water. And so there was nothing there but a a spot where fishermen would spread their nets. And they made a land bridge all the way out to the island. And then they took their battering rams and knocked the walls down and were able to conquer the city of Tyre and to take it. You see, another thing, exactly as the Scriptures had said, And this photo is one from just a few weeks ago. There's a group of people doing underwater archaeology. 
to look at the remnants of the old city. Just exactly like the scriptures had said in verses 19 through 21, the waters shall cover you, the deep. In fact, if you look at a satellite image, I'm sure it's not clear enough for you to see it on the screen, but if you bring it up on your internet, uh, your computer, you can see the remnants of that old city up under the water just exactly as God's word had said. Now, here's some things I want you to think about. The critics will say, but there's a city called Tyre there today. Sure there is, but it's not ancient Tyre. Ancient Tyre is not there because the old city has been thrown into the water and the remnants of the majority of the city is underwater now, just exactly like the prophecy had said. There was a city there in the New Testament. Matthew 15, 21, Jesus went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. When Paul was on his way back on his third missionary journey, he stopped at Tyre. But you have to remember, it wasn't just a place. It was a people. And those people, because of their pride and their arrogance, are no longer there. I would spend, but I'm watching the clock and I know I've got a lot more to go. I'm just going to simply make reference to the fact that when you go to Ezekiel 28 and you look at one, verses 1 through 10, you'll see the king of Tyre. He says that his heart is lifted up like a god and his riches. And then you go on and God says, aliens are going to take you because I have spoken. Verse 19, all who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror, and you shall be no more forever. He's not just talking about a place. He's talking about a people. Now, I want to ask you a question. How do you account for the accurate detail given over 200 years before this took place? There's only one explanation. And that is Ezekiel was a true prophet of God and God showed him the future and he spoke about the future and we know that the Bible is a book from God. But you know the Bible says at the mouth of two or three witnesses every word will be established. You don't just bring one witness and say that's enough. You have to bring another one. So I want to take a little bit of time to talk about Babylon. The date of Jeremiah chapters 50 and 51 is approximately 605 B.C. This is when Jeremiah is going to prophesy about the fall of Babylon. But he is prophesying when the nation of Babylon was the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. You know, just like today, if you start looking at certain nations, imagine the little island nation of Cuba. That doesn't look very, you know, strong, very powerful to us. You look at the United States of America, the, the land that it occupies, the people that live here, the army that we have. For someone to say something like, Cuba will destroy the United States, most of us would just laugh that off. But I want you to listen. Babylon had a reputation for ruthlessness and God would use them as an instrument of his power. Habakkuk 
was so concerned about the children of Israel and their sinfulness. And he says, God, how long are you going to let things go on without bringing some punishment on these people? And God's answer was, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and a hasty nation who marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. That's the kind of people they are. Verse 7 of Jeremiah 51, Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drink. The nations drank her wine, therefore the nations are deranged. The picture is is that Babylon was the cup that God used to pour out or to feed the nations. Verse 8, Babylon suddenly is fallen and is destroyed. Wail for her. Take up balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her and let us everyone go to our, his own country for judgment reaches up to heaven and is lifted up to the skies. God says Babylon is going to fall. You can go to Jeremiah. I'm just going to look at some specific verses as time will permit, going through chapter 50. Look at verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord is spoken against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. Declare among the nations, proclaim and set up a standard, proclaim and do not conceal it. Say, Babylon is taken, Baal is shamed, Merodach is broken in pieces. Her idols are humiliated, her images are broken in pieces. For out of the north, A nation comes against her which shall make her land desolate and no one shall dwell therein. They shall move, they shall depart, both man and beast. Oh, there's a, this is a very stern prophecy. God's going to bring a nation out of the north. Verses 9 and 10 talks about the plunder of it. Chapter 50, verse 18 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will punish the king of Babylon, his land, as I have punished the king of Assyria. But God not only says, Am I going to punish Babylon? But through Jeremiah, he says, My people are going to get to go back home. My people will return. Look at verses 4 and 5. In those days and at that time, says the Lord... The children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together. With continual weeping they shall come and seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces toward it and saying, Come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that will not be forgotten. And then you go to verses 34 and 30, or 33 and 34 and the same thing is said. They've refused to let them go, but now God is going to turn them loose. Now you say Babylon is going to fall. But let me tell you how powerful Babylon was. The city of Babylon had walls that were 14 miles long on all four sides. That's a big city. 14 miles from one side to the other and from north and south. The walls of the city of Babylon were 300 feet tall. That's like a 30-story building. All the way around the city, a 300-foot high wall. 
the walls were 75 feet thick in some places. I want you to imagine a 300-foot wall, the width of or the thickness of from me to the back doors back there. That's 75 feet. And then I want you to imagine a moat all the way around that was at minimum 65 feet and in some places 250 feet wide, the moat. How in the world would anyone ever be able to conquer a city like that? You're not going to have somebody who will take a grappling hook and throw up on the wall. First of all, you've got to get to the wall, but when you get there, it's 300 feet high. And all you have to do is have some sort of a centurion up there who sees someone and he's a dead man in the water. But you see, God had a picture in mind. In fact, he already knew what he was going to do. Look at Jeremiah 51, verse 11 and verse 28. Make the arrows bright. Gather the shields. The Lord has raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes. For his plan against Babylon to destroy it because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance of his temple. Verse 28, prepare against her the nations with the kings of the Medes, its governors and all of its rulers, the land of its dominion. The Medes are going to come from the north. They're going to take the city. But you see, there's a problem. How do you take a city like that? Cyrus, when he got there, saw that huge city, saw the Euphrates running through it, running around it, and all that had been built. And his engineers tried to devise a number of ways, and then they realized, what we'll do, we'll build a canal and we'll rechannel the Euphrates River away from Babylon And we'll run it over to a basin, a a plain where the water could run, which is exactly what they did. I want you to look with me at Jeremiah 51, verse 36. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will plead your case and take vengeance on you. I will dry up her sea and make her springs dry. That's exactly what he did. But even plainer, is Isaiah 44, verses 27 and 28. Who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Here, over 200 years before it happened, God called his name. Cyrus, he told how it would take place. The rivers would be dried up. And so what Cyrus's army did after they diverted the Euphrates River, they marched under the walls. And that's the way history records the city of Babylon was taken. And you know what Babylon is today? There's a photo of it. A dried up old city. You want to look at a little larger picture that was taken just a few 
years ago or a few months ago, the people of Iraq did try to rebuild some of the walls to show tourists what they would look like. But that's the great city of Babylon. And you see what you have to step back and look at and say, okay, what God said was true. The prophecy with regards to Tyre, that was true. The prophecy with regard to Babylon, that's true. And with just a few minutes, let me talk about the prophecies of Christ. There are 330 of them if the count is correct. I have not counted them all, but I will take others' word that there are 330 specific ones about Christ. Is it possible for hundreds of specific prophecies to come true and the Bible not be unquestionably the Word of God? If you did not know where these passages were, were cited from, who would you think the following passages were speaking of? I'm not going to read the Scripture references. They're going to be on the screen. But I want you, maybe even if you want to, to close your eyes and listen to these and see if you can recognize about whom they are speaking. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for me my wages, thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter. That princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. I will give my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shaming and spitting. They pierced my hands. And my feet. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out at the lip. They shake their head saying, He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. They gave me gall for my food and for my thirst. They gave me vinegar to drink. I am poured out like water, and my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is led to its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. He was numbered with the transgressors, and bore the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, 
because he had done no violence nor was deceit found in his mouth. You say, I know who all those passages are about. They're about Christ. And yet every one of them was written no less than four, five, six, seven hundred years before Christ. Now, folks, here's the conclusion. The Bible is clearly above the level of human production. No man could have come up with this many specific, detailed prophecies and it not be the Word of God. And if it is the Bible and it is from God, then we better live by it. God holds the future in His hand. Now, the question is, where will you be in that future? Will you choose yourself to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will you choose to follow the plan of salvation that involves faith, repentance, confession, and being baptized? Will you, as God's child, walk with Him daily, repenting of your sins as you become aware of them? Tonight, if you need to respond to God's invitation, would you come as we stand inside?